our Bibles for the reading of God's Word to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to read a larger portion of Scripture today, but I want to, uh, we're actually going to focus in on one verse today, but I wanted to get a context, and all of it is good, so uh, for the reading we're going to read verses 1 through 23. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 23. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Excuse me for a second. I was fighting that, and I was saying, just get me through verse 23. It wasn't going to wait. Let's start over at verse 8. It says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet and the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to the salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. <clears throat> Wherefore, court, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also as ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Let me just stop here for just a minute and just put a parenthetical statement in here. Please notice the context of all the following verses, okay? Uh, the context of, what we're, of this whole chapter is the coming of the Lord, the last days, okay? Uh, when Jesus is going to come for us, okay? Now we're in verse 13 again. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves... Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but, ev uh, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. That's where we're focusing today. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you. I'm sorry, I said verse 23, so we'll stop there. It's just so good, I wanted to keep going. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll look at that verse especially, but also the context of what we're talking about. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless us today. Encourage our hearts with what you have for us today, what you've laid upon my heart. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you guide and direct all of our thoughts and uh, help us to focus upon you and hearing from you today. I pray that you bless us now. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Again, verse 19 says, quench not the Spirit. Uh, as, we've been looked, uh, as we looked at this series on living the great life, 
Uh, we've seen the, that God has made man a spiritual being. And because of the fall of man, our spirit died. And this is the state of all men who are unsaved, the natural man. Their spirit is dead. When we accepted Christ as our Savior, he brought that spirit inside us back to life. He quickened the spirit, the Bible says. That means to make alive again. If from that point we yield to the Holy Spirit, we are what the Bible calls a spiritual man. If we yield to the flesh instead of the Holy Spirit, we are what the Bible calls the carnal man. As we live our lives, there will be times when we sin. We have the flesh with us. And it's just a statement of fact. We will sin. But if we confess that sin, he is quick to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? And we can go forward living for the Lord with the fruit of the Spirit. If we do not confess our sin, however, we grieve the Holy Spirit within us. And he needs to change his ministry from filling us, controlling us, moving us to convicting us of our sin. And pretty soon without the filling of the Spirit, we feel the pressures of this life in forms of anxiety, depression, fear, doubt, and many other things that the Lord desires us to use or to, uh, uh, to grab our attention. He wants to use those things to grab our attention and cause us to confess and follow His Spirit. I've said it before, I've said it again, the backslidden Christian is the most miserable person in the world. And he is. And just like the command to grieve not the Spirit, there's another explicit command to the believer concerning the relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit who indwells them. Here in verse 19, he says, quench not the Spirit. The Greek word quenched means to hinder, to repress, as in preventing the Holy Spirit from exerting his full influence. This is what happens when you quench the Spirit. It doesn't mean that he goes away, amen? Aren't you glad? The Holy Spirit is there to stay, to seal us until the day of redemption. But we can quench or hinder or repress or prevent his influence, is exerting his full influence on our lives. It just means he prevent him from having that influence. So how is the Spirit quenched in our life? The Spirit is quenched by any unyieldingness to the revealed will of God. It's simply saying no to God. When he convicts you about something, when he tells you to do something, when he tells you to go somewhere, when he tells you to talk to someone, we talked about that in Sunday school. When we say no to God, we quench the Spirit. Again, the crucial word when talking about believers' responsibility in being spiritual, the spiritual man is yield. We have to yield to him. Romans 6.13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. We are alive from the dead. Amen? So we need to yield ourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. To live a life yielded to God is the life of those who are living as they are alive from the dead. When we live like we are, the reality of the Christian, 
I don't have to sin. I cannot, I don't have to yield to the flesh. I can yield to God's Holy Spirit when He convicts me. And I don't have to sin. Amen? Because I'm living as those that are alive from the dead. My spirit is alive inside of me. He has quickened me and made me alive again. These are, this is those who are saved. That is the state they are. Any other attitude of living that way is rebellion. And God always knows what is best for us in our situations. He'll never ask us to do anything that is not best for us in the long run. He knows everything that's going to happen and how it's going to affect our future, how it's going to affect everything. So when we do not yield to him and when we say no to him, we quench the Holy Spirit and his power in us. We stop that power from having the fullness of enabling us to do this life the way that we ought to do it. Really, there's no reason to say no to God because he knows everything about us. He knows what tomorrow holds and what next year holds and the next 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or whatever it may be. I'm hoping that it's only going to be a few days and God will come back for us. Amen. But if not, we need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and not quench the Spirit. If we were to perfectly yield to God in every area of our life from this point forward, we would see that great life in all reality. Or we could say another way, which is Roman number one in your notes, because I'm using this word on all the notes, as you see, the perfect life. I don't use that word to say that you're going to be perfect. Amen? My thing's about to die, so I brought my cord in here and I forgot to plug it in. There we go. I don't want to die in the middle of the sermon. We'll all be in trouble. Because uh, then I'll start winging it, and you never know when I'm going to finish. Uh, no. But uh, the perfect life. I don't mean that without sin. I mean mature. Amen? <clears throat> it is that life that is fully yielded to the one that knows everything about us from our birth to our death. Ephesians 1.11 tells us, "...in whom we have obtained an inheritance." being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He has predestined in us to accomplish what he has planned all of the entire time. He knows before we were ever even born, before time even began, he had a plan and he's working everything out for that plan. Does that mean he has determined everything? We have no choice what to do or not? No, we have a choice. That's the point of yielding, amen? We have a choice to be a part of that. And we cannot possibly be able to know what is best for ourselves, let's be honest. With the limited knowledge that we have of what's going on in our lives and everything else around us, and what the future holds, we cannot possibly know what's best for ourselves. But he does. Jeremiah 10, 23 tells us, O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. Man doesn't have any idea where, where he should go. It is not in the man that walketh to direct his steps. We cannot possibly know what way we ought to go if it were not for the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, how important it is that we are yielded to the Spirit of God. Amen? It was God's plan all along to walk with man. From the very beginning of the garden, that was his plan. To walk with man in the cool of the day. 
The fall caused us to become independent of God. But we truly need to be dependent upon him once again. We need to yield to him. First of all, we need to yield, letter A, our will. Our will. Instead of being self-directional, we need to be directed by God and his Holy Spirit to do his will. When we yield our will to God's will, not my will, but thine be done, as Jesus prayed. We put our dependence upon him. The fact that this is hard for us shows how far we've fallen from, uh, as mankind from God's design for us. But the good news is God doesn't leave it to us to handle it on our own. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God that worketh in us, in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's working in us to accomplish what he wants. Amen? He works in us to desire to do his will and to give us the power to do it as well. All we have to do is yield to him our will. But yielding to him our will will not by itself yield a perfect life. We also need to yield to him, let her be there, our bodies. Romans 12.1 talks about this. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is reasonable for God to expect this. Amen? You know, Romans is a great book, really. Verse 8 chapters are one great big doctrinal statement of the work of God in us and through us for salvation. Then chapters 9 and 11 is kind of this parenthetical portion about Israel. Then verse 12 begins a very practical portion of the letter. Practical Christian life. How to live the Christian life. And the opening statement, his thesis statement for those English majors, is uh, his opening statement to the rest of the, this section of the book is this verse. He beseeches the Romans and thereby us by the very mercies of God, to present the same word as yield in Romans 6.13, yield our members. The same word. Present or yield our bodies. To yield our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. The words beseech you isn't a command. It's not commanding you, hey, you do this. No, it's a beseeching, it's a pleading for the Christians to become what God intended for you to be all along. He says, this is the best. You'll be so much happier. I beg you. I plead with you. Do this. Yield your bodies to God. Let him make your decisions. You'll be so much happier. The great life. You know, you don't know what you're missing. He says, I beseech you, yield your bodies to God. Having yielded your will to God's will, now yield your body to God as well. To be used as instruments in his mighty hands. There's no specific mention of some particular service that we are to do. It's just an act of self-dedication to whatever God may choose for us. Now or in the future. And I wonder, have you ever dedicated your life to follow and obey Christ? I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is when you, agree, when you agree with God about your sin and you say, I need salvation and I trust in you to save me. Now, some dedicate their life right then and they say, boy, because you have done this, because of this, I give you my life. I give you my will. I give you my body. Whatever you want to do, I'll do. Some people do it right then. 
Some people don't. They don't understand the connection there. But many times later in life, we see teenagers come under conviction of this. We see young people come under conviction. I've seen older people do it as well. And they come to the point where they say, I want to dedicate my life to follow God, to obey Christ. You'll never experience or live the great life until you do. After this point in Romans, there's much teaching about how and what to yield to God. But until there is willingness to yield both your will and your body to Christ, there's no point in going any further. If you say no, the spirit is quenched. And you will not feel the full power and effects of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will not feel the fruit of the Spirit like you ought if you say no. This perfect life, this great life is available to us. But how do we do this? Well, God sent his son to show us, amen? And so he is, number two, the perfect example, amen? He was the perfect example. Jesus was the perfect example of how to yield to God. His example is written all over the Bible. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7 says this, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wilt, wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of thy book it is written of me, To do thy will, O Lord, O God. He says, burnt offerings have its place, but that's not what you want from me. What you want from me is to offer my body a holy sacrifice to him, to do his will. And Jesus was perfectly yielded to his father's will, even his own body. When he was nailed to the cross, his heart's cry was, uh, right, just when he was nearing the cross rather, his heart's cry was, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was perfectly yielded to God, even as difficult as it was. And so he did the will of God, as Philippians 2.8 tells us, being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the cross, even the, uh, unto the death, even the death of the cross. And so we're told to follow his example. A few verses earlier, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. His command to us is humble yourself before God and yield to his will. And Jesus gave the perfect example of that. He says, let this mind be in you. It's not us doing what Christ has done. We don't have to go and crucify ourselves on the cross as so I know the Philippines, they have times around Easter time where people allow themselves to be crucified, thinking it's going to show penance and, and somehow earn their way to heaven. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want sacrifice like that. He just wants obedience. It's letting Christ do through us what he wants to be done. Galatians 2.20 tells us, he says, I am crucified with Christ. I don't need to crucify myself, Amen. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me doing it. It's Christ doing it through me. My perfect example. But I've got to yield to his working. Follow Christ's perfect example and let the Holy Spirit do this work in you. What was his example? Letter A, go where the Father chose. His example was to go where the Father chose. Christ was home in heaven. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So Christ went where the Father wanted him to go. He came into this world as the very first foreign missionary. Amen? He lived out the words of that old hymn, I'll go where you want me to go. We sing the song, but how many have never surrendered their will to God and truly lived the song? And he lived it throughout his life. He was led of the Spirit to go to the wilderness to be tempted. He was led to the places where he needed to meet the blind, the deaf, the lame, the demon-possessed. And he went where his father wanted him to go. Secondly, he, uh, I don't know how to word he be what, the, what his fathers chose. He was what his father chose, as I guess proper way to say it, the way I'm saying it here, but be what his father chose. And Jesus made himself of no reputation. He was not only willing to veil his glory while he walked on this earth, but he was willing to be made nothing to humble himself, to be spit upon, to be crucified. He was willing to be whatever his father wanted him to be. Are we willing to be what God wants us to be? Are we willing to follow Christ's perfect example and be nothing so that God can receive the glory that's due for him? We see power and honor and prestige and recognition as the natural man or a carnal man. But the spiritual man is willing to be nothing if that's what the Father chooses. Now he lifts up the humble. He does that. But if we lift ourselves up, we will be abased. But Jesus, our perfect example, was willing to be what his Father chose. Thirdly, He was willing to do what his father chose. He became obedient unto death. He was willing to go wherever and be willing to do whatever he asked him to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Are we willing to follow that example? Are we willing to drink from that cup? You might think, I don't have the strength to do that. That's okay. That's okay. None of us do. The disciples didn't either. Remember, it's God that does it, amen? Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will, to choose to yield your life, your will to him, and to do of his good pleasure. It is him that does it, not me. This perfect life that's presented, this great life, He'll do it. Does that mean everything will be just the way we want it? You're missing the whole point. (laughs) You're missing the whole point. It's not about what I want. It is following the perfect example of doing and going 
and being what God wants. The result, the effect of this perfect life, following this perfect example, is seen in number three, the perfect effects. The perfect effects, number three. Jesus on his last day with his disciples, his last moments in fact, is walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane after the upper room there. He's walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane where he will be arrested. I imagine in my mind that on their way they pass a vineyard. And Jesus reaches over and begins to use the grapevine as an object lesson to his disciples about abiding in him. John 15, 1-17 records this teaching. He picks up a branch of the vine and shows it to the disciples and he says in verse number 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. In my imagination, he turns and continues his walk toward the garden, as it continues teaching. But don't miss three things, three very important things that Jesus is teaching about abiding in Him. By the way, abiding in Him is being yielded to His Spirit. It is saying yes to Him. It's staying with Him and in Him and abiding in Him. One Bible dictionary says this about the word abide. It says that it means to be and remain united with Him. One with Him in heart, mind, and will. That will that we're yielding to him. So it is yielding our will and our bodies, abiding to him. Jesus tells his disciples here, if you abide in me, there will be three perfect effects. Number one, letter A, your prayer will be effectual. 
Your prayer will be effectual. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. If you abide in me, you remain united with me, yielded to my mind, my heart, my will, with your mind, your heart, your will. And my words abide in you. You are walking with him and in his words. You're following his will. What does he say will happen? You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That's a bold claim, amen? That's a bold claim. But Jesus has no fear of making this claim. Because he knows that if you're abiding in him, if you're yielded to his will and the will of God, you'll not be asking for something that you shouldn't be asking. The Christian who does not see answers to his prayer is the Christian who is not yielded to God's will. James 4.3 tells us, Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. But if we are truly yielded to God's will, abiding in Him, we'll ask what He, uh, we'll ask what he wants for us. And therefore your prayer is effectual. But not only that, Jesus said there's more. Letter B, he says, your joy will be habitual. Your joy will be habitual. Verse 11, he says, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Your joy will be habitual. When we abide in Christ, we will have true joy. And it will remain in you. You'll be full of it. No matter what comes, the joy remains if we'll abide in Christ. If we'll yield to this Holy Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit will fill us. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. This will just be the standard of our life. It'll be a habit of our life to live with joy. I've met and I've watched many Christians go through some of the most difficult things a person can go through. And I've seen them as their bodies are eaten away by cancer. I've seen them as they lost the dearest person on earth to them. I've watched them as they go through financial ruin. I've seen Christians experience the loss of a child, a parent, a job, a home. And I've seen Christians in each of these situations who were yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and abiding in Christ, and even in their darkest moments, there was still joy. Joy that no one could take away and nothing could take away. But I've seen others who have had no joy at all. They've not yielded their will to God's. So when God allows that which they love so much to be taken away, they become bitter and depressed. Well, it's normal to be sad. Don't get me wrong. It's a weird oxymoron, but I've seen joyful sadness. <laughs> it happens. It's okay. It's a human emotion. And yet there's that element in them that is a joy that cannot be taken away. And to be honest with you, it's truly up to you. Do you want to have your prayers answered? Yield to God. Do not grieve Him by saying no. Do you want to have joy in your heart again? Yield to God. Don't grieve Him by saying no. Abide in Him. 
Then the Lord makes a third promise. When you abide in him, he says that your fruit is perpetual. Your fruit is perpetual. Verse 16, it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, ye sh- you, he, may, excuse me, he may give it to you. I remember whenever I lived in the Bay Area, my neighbor had an tr- uh, avocado tree, and it hung over the fence to, to my side. And I asked her, can I have some of those avocados that are hanging over? She said, you can have the whole tree. He said, I don't like avocados, so you're welcome to have all of it. And the thing that amazed me was the temperate area of the Bay Area in California, there were avocados on that tree all year long. It was perpetual fruit. And it was constantly there. I would pick one every single day. And I would put it on my counter. And there was a row of avocados on my counter. And the one on the end was the oldest and it was the ripest. And I would take that one and I would eat it and replace it with a new one. And through time, they would all go down the line and they would become a thing. And I had avocado. I loved avocado. And so I had fruit all the time. I had perpetual fruit. This is kind of the idea that we're talking about here. When we're yielded to God, he brings forth fruit in our life that remains. Our fruit will not wither away. It will not go sour on the vine. Think about an avocado. It never ripens on the tree. It never ripens on the tree. You have to pick it before it will ripen. It's always ready to be used if you pick it and wait a little while. And our fruit will never wither on the tree. It won't go in and out of season. It will remain. In fact, he reiterates his promise The promised effect from before. He says, whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. What a life. What a great life he's promised us. It's a life yielded to God as a rule of life. I've dedicated it to him. It's not a matter of if God reveals something to me to do, I'll determine whether I'll do it or not. That's not a yielded life. Amen? It is a covenant relationship of trust in which you have decided already without reservation that you will do whatever he asks because you know he is good and he will only ask good of you. You'll yield to his Holy Spirit and you will not quench his power from coming into your life by saying no. What do you have to fear? Is he a hard taskmaster? No, his yoke is easy. He gives you the power. He even gives you the desire to do it before he asks you to do it. You have nothing to fear. Does he ask of us more than he could do through us? Of course not. Is there any hope that we will be wise enough to choose what's best for our own lives? No, of course not. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. He knows better. We're not vowing to never sin again or never violate his will again. We're just saying, I'm willing to be made willing to do your will. It is not the question of doing the will of God in the abstract, in the unknown. It is the having the assurance that God will work in us. That what, he, what is pleasing in his sight, he will do. 
choosing to follow him in that will. When he directs, we go. When he commands, we do. When he molds, we yield and become what he wants for us. Can you remember a particular time and place or at least an instant in your life where you dedicated your life to Christ? I'm not talking about salvation. It's a declaration. Lord, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. You've never said that to God. Dedicate your life to God and your will to him today. Perhaps you do remember a time in your life when you've done this, but perhaps you've taken back the reins from him for a while. Perhaps you need to rededicate your life to him today. I'd like to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed for just a moment. No one looking around. Do you know for sure that if you died today that you'd go to heaven? How many would say with your hand lifted high, Pastor Jeremy, I know that I know that I'm going to be, that I am saved. I'm going to heaven. Raise your hand right high, real high. Thank you. You can put your hands down. How many will say, I couldn't raise my hand just now. I do not know if I'm saved. With no one looking around, who will raise your hand and let me see it? Raise it high so that I can see it. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? Today is the day of salvation. You can know that you know that you know. Have you ever dedicated your life to Christ? How many of you will say by the raising of your hand, and no one is looking around, I'll see it, but I'll never come to you. I will not talk to you about it. I will not do anything, okay? But I want to pray for you. How many will say by the raising of your hand today, God, that's me. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. I may have even done this before, or this may be the first time, but I yield my will and my body to you right now. Who will raise their hand and say that today? My hand is raised as well. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Oh, the great life. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message, and I thank thank you how it spoke to my heart. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and lives today. Help us, Lord, to be willing in this moment right now to pray And to say, Lord, my life is yours. My will is yours. My body is yours. Do as you want. I know you will never ask me to do something that will be damage or harm or uh, take me out of your love and care. But you will be with me the whole time, enabling me to do what you want me to do. I pray, Lord, that we would take care of that right now in our hearts and lives. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. For time's sake, we're not going to have an a, uh, invitation today, but I hope that you'll do take care of that right now. I'm going to ask the men if they would come forward, and uh, let's take the Lord's Supper together, this communion time. Luke chapter number 22, verse 14 says, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. 
For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it. And he gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus gave us this example of this time where we stop what we're doing, stop everything that's going on, and we come before him, and we remember what he's done for us. Let's take just a moment and ask the Lord to show us in our hearts anything in our hearts that needs to be forgiven, anything we have not confessed, because we want to come to this table worthily, ready to accept. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're invited to this table, and you're invited to welcome and remember him through this time. Let's pray and ask him to show us if there's anything we need to confess. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Many times we are not faithful, but you always are. And one area in which you are always faithful is the area of forgiveness when we come and confess. We confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Lord, for the ability and the time that we can come to you and make our account clear before you. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless our time today. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Paul said, For I have received of the Lord that which is del I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he betrayed, was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. We're going to take and follow the Lord's example. He uh, gave thanks for the bread before he uh, handed it out. So I'm going to ask uh, if Brother Reed, if you would uh, th thank him for the bread.
The Bible says, And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Bible says after the same manner he took the cup and when he had stopped saying this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me I'd like to ask Brother Fox if he would thank the Lord for the cup and for his blood The Bible says, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And I hope that he's coming someday soon. Amen. Till then, I'm grateful for the victory that he's given us. Amen. And through the cross and through his shed blood, we have victory. We just need to yield to it, amen? Reckon ourselves dead unto sin 
and do what's right. Let's sing together page number 587 in your songbooks. Victory in Jesus as the gentlemen come and collect these cuts. Page 587. <clears throat> we'll sing that first verse. All together now. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood's atoning then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Praise God, he loved me ere I knew. And all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Amen. Let's all stand together as we get ready to be dismissed. Thank you so much for coming today. Please don't forget about these things that are coming up. Don't forget about the sign-up sheets in the back. We have the Easter breakfast. We have things that are needed for the pastor's wives retreat. And then the sign-up sheet for the, uh, for the positive alternatives banquet on April the 4th. <coughs> Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for your faithfulness in serving the Lord. And we look forward to serving him for a few more days until he comes. Amen. Uh, thank you for coming. God bless you. Give me a chance to get back to the back.